Why struggle through a post-merger integration when you can glide through it? Why deal with the PMI integration challenges when you can overcome them even before they occur? Why move slow when you can move at pace? What are the world's leading PMI experts doing right now to achieve profit accelerating integrations? This podcast will give you all the answers to these questions and many more. My name is Dudley Peacock and welcome to the 100 Days and Beyond podcast. Welcome to everyone to our latest show, 100 Days and Beyond, where we tackle the various aspects of merger and integration, or let's call it post-merger integration or post-acquisition integration work. But today we, we're coming in with a completely different slant. We've got Paul who's really a marketing expert, I'd say, a guy that's, that un- really understands marketing and, and business growth in terms of actually generating new work and, and so on. And, and in fact, has dedicated quite a few years around that. But the beauty is that Paul has got, I would say, probably the best of both worlds because you've been involved in both post-merger integration work and the marketing aspect. And pulling those together, I think, uh, creates a, a certain element of genius, I think, you know, in terms of the the world that we live in. So, Paul, welcome. Welcome to the show. I mean, when we had our initial chat last week, I thought, wow, okay, this is going to be a really good one. So let's just get some sort of background, give an understanding. You got various, when I look at your LinkedIn profile, there are quite a few things in there that that I think is best you explain because I, I think the background is just phenomenal. So let, let, let's hear it. So let's, let's hear your journey. How did you get into it? what your experiences are and, and how did you get to where you are today? Thank you for having me, uh, Dudley. I'm active in post-merger optimization, but also the period before that, uh, establishing the, the worth of a website or uh, e-commerce site. So that's, that's a very important part of our business. I work with companies establishing growth in their companies, in their markets. But um, a very important part of my M&A work is digital M&A and especially website valuation. So I established a method of gauging the, the, the word of a website or an e-commerce site. And that method is being used, um, pre-merger of course, but also after, uh, the merger has, uh, is, is, has taken place. We want to know what, what, what is the word, uh, we have uh, acquired and how can we uh, grow upon that? With website valuation, I like to look under the hood of the, of the website, uh, you can say. So I established five main elements that drive worth in, in a website. That's uh, organic strength, online authority strength, conversion strength, technical strength, and, uh, advertising and social strength. So these are the five components that make up the worth of a website. And that's my main focus in the, the whole M&A journey you can say that's why i found it fascinating because most practitioners are are a lot more focused on i would say blueprints and plans and where you're you come at it from a completely different angle you say where does the value lie in a business in terms of its its digital assets and the valuation of a digital asset is incredibly difficult how do you value a website how do you value even the marketing automation that happens in the background, how do you value brand, reach, customer base, 
customers buying from you on a regular basis as opposed to one-off purchases. I mean, there's a ton of varying things. I know you've broken it down to, to those five different areas, but I'm guessing that each, even, even those different areas have really complexities within them that, that, that are hard to explain just off the bat. But yes. I thought yeah, but your whole journey really is around taking the M&A side, looking at the valuation. How do you actually value the company in the first instance? And yeah, then you talk well, about optimization and the marketing optimization. So it's like, I look at the company, I can value the company, what it's really worth, because often the people that generally value companies or do due diligence or even look at the M&A process are saying, look, it's a great company. It's making money, but is it really making money? Or it's, it's got revenue, but it's got no profit or it's got you know, or there's no revenue, there's no profit, but in fact, those assets are worth something. I mean, there are so many different scenarios. Let's just paint a bit of picture around that side of things, the valuations and, and, and just looking at digital assets as it's, as a category that's now become more and more prevalent in the M&A space. It's a really a great challenge. Of course, we start with data. Historical data, because all the data is historical, of course, and it's important. And of course, uh, there's data within the website eh, or we go to, to analytics, to all sorts of CRM products or whatever. We can see what has happened up to now within the website. And of course, there are results um, uh, with e-commerce sites. It's very uh, uh, obvious, of course, there are, are sales, there are profits. Uh, you can attribute these profits or sales to uh, the website. Uh, it makes a big uh, difference, of course, when you have an e-commerce site or just a, an information-based web website, because then attribution, attribution of the of the of the results is a big challenge. But we can do that also. But you come up with results, with financial data, and with data from the website. But when you go through all this data, you can have a look upon the future. How, how much mileage is there still in it? Has it strength or weakness, uh, weaknesses, uh, altogether we can gorge. That's a different approach than from an accounting approach that when you all only look at historical figures and say, well, mm. this e-commerce site has made up a revenue of, uh, let's say uh, 5 million over the last 10 years, you can see an evolution of results and you can multiply that and try to look into the future based upon the historical data. But I want to see within the website, if there is still strength enough within the website that can push this revenue or has it some weaker parts that may tell you, well, we did good up to now, but I see some weak parts that may diminish these revenues in, in the future. In, in most cases, the other way around, there's much more strength within a website then you might expect when you only look at historical data, there's a big difference. And in most cases, when you have a, a growing business and a, yeah. and a growing website, there's more strength within the website than you can see only looking at, at results. But it's not always the case. Sometimes the verdict is that it's a weak website, <laughs> a weak website, well, uh, uh, relatively speaking. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I love the way that the way you explain it, because the traditional approach, and I think that is really to do with where legacy, where valuation methodologies, when you're doing valuations, you look at DCF and you look at asset, you know, normal assets, less liabilities or whatever it is, if you're looking at yeah. different types of 
property equipment, etc. And there's other types of valuation methods or EBITDA type this, multiply that and get some multiplier, etc. But if you look at some of the tech companies, even, even listed tech companies, I mean, sometimes their burn rate, if you like, I mean, it's massive. I mean, they, they, they burn millions, if not hundreds of millions yeah. or billions before they start making money. And some of them don't. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so, so just paint that picture because it's not a new industry anymore. I mean, we, we probably in the tech age for around 20 years now, since the right. dot-com bubble in 99, 2000, uh, or the, you know, that, that whole Y2K scare that we had, and then it went into, you know, do you remember those? Yeah. I remember. But, but lots, <laughs> has lots has changed since then, but so it's, it's mature yet. It's not that mature. So a lot of software and a lot of new, let's say technologies are sold on the idea. It's sold on the dream, the plan, and everybody is wishing for the next unicorn, you know, that yeah. next big thing. And now they go out to market and try to, I mean, all from the beginning, they try to raise, let's say even just angel funding or private investors, high net worth people that can put in some cash. And then they go through seed funding and then it goes through the series A, B, C, et cetera, and in private equity. And hopefully one day they, they have their big exit. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you look at that whole life cycle in terms of starting from an idea through to hopefully unicorn status or a lot of ideas that just sort of just fizzle out like those little Christmas fizzles or birthday fizzles you see that just gone. So tell me a bit about that. Yes. It's, it's a very complex, uh, market you could, you could say, and it depends on your goals, what you try to achieve. And of course there are players in, in the market, they dream big and sometimes they only sell a dream and I want to look. That's always my starting point, looking at the data. So I want to see data. And of course, if someone has a dream, he or she can have a dream, that's no problem. But I want, I want to look at data and see, well, for instance, when you're in, just in the, in the beginning of this business cycle and you're looking for a third party capital, I want to see, well, what did you do already? What, what is happening right now? Is there some sort of momentum going on? Is there not only speaking about financial results, but results within the e-commerce platform, the website or whatever digital asset we are talking about, what is happening? How is the interaction with the public? And all these parts have to be translated within data, and then you can put a price tag on it. And that, that's of course a difficult part, but uh, I'd like to start with a basic price tag and this price tag. Sometimes it's calculated through accountants. They say, well, I, I figured it all out. This is uh, the price tag I can put on it on this website or platform or whatever it is based upon financial data. Sometimes it's, it's just a price tag that the market is willing to ask or to pay. And we go through the data and see if this starting point is this price tag is valid. Can we sustain that with other data when we're looking under the hood of the website. And uh, sometimes I have to say, well, I think it's overvalued or undervalued. And of course, then there's always the other parties who say, well, okay, I, I know what you mean, but I see other things on the way and whatever, because it's a discussion, but I always work with data and I want to see what is happening. I want to see the momentum and I want to see what is important within this line of business. Is it mm. customer interaction? Is it being able to have a large timeshare of your potential 
uh, audience uh, what is happening and I want to see the growth uh, within it and, and then we can manage to put prices on it. Yeah, I mean, different businesses come to mind. You've obviously got the big one, Twitter. I don't know if it's finished yet in terms of its deal, but I mean, there's what, 44 billion and it hasn't been properly monetized yet. It's no. a, an asset that's sitting in limbo, yet someone's paying 44 billion for it. I mean, we know who that someone is, but yeah. the whole thing is, wow. I mean, that's a lot of money. I mean, some countries don't even have that as a, a GDP kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yet you're paying that for one asset that's literally a piece of software yeah. with a whole lot of people interacting, you know, and we're yeah. talking Twitter. I mean, it's just often just seen as sometimes a lot of noise as well, depending on who, who you talk to. <laughs> so yeah. tell me a bit about that. So, you know, yeah. You're getting an asset that, that perceived, like, how do you value something like that? Yeah. Well, then I come back to my five uh, website value drivers, uh, the organic strength, advertising strength, or technical strength, whatever. And then we have one very important strength playing a very big role in a deal like this. And that's the online authority strength. What is your market? What are you going after? And how is your online authority linked to that? Are you really the, the market leader within this, this niche or within this market? Or are you just uh, playing second, third or fourth based roles? For this instance, with Twitter, of course, they have a very large online authority. You can compare it with Facebook and what is, what, what, what are they doing with it? You can compare it with LinkedIn, with other social uh, media and, and see what is happening. See what their revenues uh, are. You have to look through that, but you have to start with, of course, the data. Is there still growth within, let's say Twitter? Is it declining? Uh, or what's happening and how is the interaction with, with, with the market. And then you come up with, with some conclusion and then it's about a vision of the one who is buying or, 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 or interested yeah, they, in trying to get That's a very important part, of course. Yes. So, so this, this comes back to the age old, I'm going back to sort of merger acquisition, integrations and so on. And this comes back to that big debate where sort of valuation is in the eye of the beholder, yeah. you know, and often if you see potential, you're going to be more optimistic. If you see this as a, as, as a strategic move, that's less potential, but more of a, uh, it's competition. I mean, Microsoft used to do that a lot. They go out and they buy a company and they just crush it. <laughs> yeah. Just get rid of the competition. It really depends on, on the sort of the eye of the beholder, but I'm going to come back to that legacy way where the value of a business or the valuation, does that sit in the current state of affairs or does that sit in what is potential in that business? What I'm sort of always uh, stuck between is I can only pay for what the business is worth right now, year and now, doesn't matter how much additional value I'm going to bring in terms of my skills, my, my people, my talent or whatever I'm bringing in or any other type of market direction I want to take the business in. But that is my input. That is not the current business. So the valuation is, is very difficult because you're saying, but I'm not going to pay for the potential I'm bringing. Yeah. I'm yeah, only yeah. going to pay for the value yeah. of what it is right now. But uh, it's like buying a, 
like buying a used car, you know, it's, you can buy an old timer and you say, well, I'm into buying old, old timer cars, but there's a difference. What kind of, of, of brand or type or, or whatever you, you, you are buying, what, what is the potential of, of some old timer cars compared to others and which cars have potential to, to grow. Uh, and of course you can say, well, I'm a very smart restorer of, of old cars. I can do all the technical stuff. I can put on, put in new engines and whatever, but if you want to put your skills into it, you better put it in the right car and not in the wrong car. <laughs> that's a bit what I'm, uh, what I mean. And then that's a very, that's a very good way of saying it. And, and I think that's, that's always the, the difficulty and, and I'm finding that in, in the digital space, this online space. Often a lot more is a lot more waiting, I think is put into future is into growth and where this company could go as opposed to the value right now, because some of the valuations, if you go in a truly accounting valuation, it is just, there's no value in it. But if you say, okay, three or five years from now, that's a growing market. I mean, I've been talking to guys that are looking to do, let's say vitamins and things like that. And yes, it's a, it's a flooded market, but it's, they're looking at a specific type of custom vitamin. So you could go in and, and put in your details and they'll send you tests and all that. And they'll fab manufacture a vitamin tablet just for you and your body and your yeah. diet and your, whatever it is, your goals and so on. And so, so that's a different way of doing it, but that's in progress, let's say. And that the potential, and they've created the way that the website, the, the, let's call it the software has been developed. So you can input all that stuff, but they haven't really got a market yet. Yeah. So they've got the technology, but no market. So that's where your five yeah. uh, sort of components come in where you say, okay, well, it's strong over there, but it's not so strong over there. It needs work over there, et cetera. And that's how you get to your valuation. Yeah. Is that a fair assumption? That's a fair assumption. Yes. The investing part or the buying party can have sometimes wild dreams while we can do all this stuff, but without seeing, well, is there a market for it and, and how can we market our thing? And that's a very great challenge, of course. And I must say sometimes uh, people are too optimistic about market potential and technical skills. That's always a very difficult part, you know, to go from here to there. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, so, so le le leading on from, from the going from here to there. So let's go back to the M and A and integration and so on. So the, the, the purpose of integration or post-merger integration, post-acquisition integration is, is value capture, synergy creation. I mean, all those fancy words and so on. And it's about how do I extract value out of the, the entity, but you enter in a lot of the things that you do this marketing, this digital optimization, this, all this type of thing, I'm going to, let's say not me, but let's say the M and a team decide they're going to buy a legacy business. Let's do a mm -hmm. case study. So let's say a case study is it is a company that does retail and they retail building supplies. So they do pipe fittings, cement, bricks, roofs, um, you name it, anything in the building supply. And they've got both. B2C customers, they also have these trade customers that come in and, and that are regular builders and that would open accounts, et cetera. So that let's call it the legacy business. They've not yet gone online. Right. Okay. So now 
the optimization and the value creation would be, there's a great business. It's got, let's say 200, 300 stores all over the place. So it's a decent business. They're selling a lot. They've got good brand identity. They've got everything like that. And now you've got this position where I'm going to buy that business. And I think the potential is not so much opening new stores, but it's now going, taking it online, going from an old brick and mortar business to an online business. So I see that as a potential. I could probably do something with it, but let's, let me throw that case study at you and see how you cope with that. What I would do in this particular case is, is always start with the core business and this part of your business that is really strong, where you can put as much value uh, to the market as you can. That's a great example uh, with building materials because you have uh, all sorts of building materials. You can go online with all these elements right away if you want, no problem. But the question is, is that a smart way to, to approach the market? Maybe you can start with some product categories, some product market combinations and go from that because online always prefers niche players, always prefers specialists. And you have to think about that. And another very important thing to, to consider is what is your market? And of course, geographical speaking, that's very important because I, I always see this, I call it mistake that you think, well, now I add an online shop, I, I can conquer the whole country or maybe the whole of Europe or whatever, no problem. And of course, technical, it's all possible. You can do that, no problem uh, whatsoever. Uh, It will cost some money, but uh, no problem. But I always say when you start, start with, with your core and your core in this case is where are you now located? Where is some traction going on and try to add that onto the online market by saying to your customers, well, we have also an online shop now you can buy relatively easy but go from these local points of of strength and grow from there not going nationwide directly because it it will take a marketing cost a lot if you can't expect to put up an online shop and expect that traffic is coming right through the front door from day one that's not going to happen you have to advertise you have to really invest in it and the closer you are to what you are doing right now the better traction you will have with existing customers going to new customers. I love that answer because that's exactly, I mean, I I actually have a case like that, exactly the same as that. And this is a a few years in the making. It's not my company, but it's one that I've been observing and and it has taken them always a lot longer than they expected. They've not invested enough money as they should have in the marketing. And, And it's not as simple as just creating an online store. And that leads me into the next question. You've got a serious set of marketing skills on you. I mean, we're just talking, you talk a lot about data and those five sort of uh, component parts, but you've got a very, very powerful marketing mindset as well. If I look at online businesses and so on, a component often, if it's a product-based business, is the fulfillment side of things. And most people forget about that. So you've got all these digital assets floating around. So Yes, you've got payment gateways and you've got shopping carts and graphics and landing pages and sales funnels and newsletters and catalogs. I mean, you name it, you've just got everything organized, but there's this layer of real life that happens. You still got to get the product. Once the purchase is made, 
out to the customer. There's this fulfillment layer. Now yeah. tell me a little bit about that because that, that I think often trips the people up in terms of the yeah. valuation side of things. Give me, give me a little bit of your view on that. Yeah. Now you're talking about uh, the headache part of doing online business. Uh, uh, fulfillment, of course, is very big challenge, uh, always overlooked. It starts with having a, a good back office that is able to conversate with customers to, to help them with their problems. And of course, when you go in international, it's always overlooked. Well, I'm based in the Netherlands, small country, so uh, all companies want to go to, to Germany, to France, to Italy, whatever, to the UK, of course. Uh, but you have to have a back office that speaks all these languages. Uh, you can easily translate online stores in all sorts of languages, no problem. But there are going to be problems. There are going to be practical problems with customers and you have to solve them and you have to solve them by speaking to them, by emailing them or whatever, and you need to have uh, this language thing uh, in order that's international. If you're not going international, of course, fulfillment still is, is a big headache. I have some examples I've worked with, with companies that like 10 years ago were just totally different companies like they are now today. They had, that's for instance, a company in the, in the, in the B2B market, uh, they had sales representatives, uh, they had uh, locations all over the country. And when you go to that business right now. Uh, they don't have sales reps anymore. They have a back office. They don't have uh, all sorts of businesses on different locations and uh, everything is automat automatized or uh, robots are going through it, whatever. But going from this to that, uh, it took a lot of energy, of course. And what you have to do is to do it in a smart way not going too fast. You first have to, have to be able to handle all this fulfillment by, by yourself or your team. And then going the other steps in hiring optimization or robots or whatever. So it's, that's, that's a very difficult journey to, uh, to go on, but do it easy and always have in mind that it will take more time than you think it will take up more money than you would, would think, but you, you need, what's very important is that you, every step of the way, you need to see the progress. You need to see the progress mm. uh, within the data, within the sales. And then you can invest all along the way, not putting all this money right from the start. Yeah. Cause we, there's a lot of learning that has to take place because you also need to bring on partners. I mean, you can't necessarily buy a fleet of vehicles or have tax experts, especially cross border. You yeah. can't just all of a sudden just hire a whole lot of skills or, or assets in and, and all of a sudden you've got a warehouse. You know, going from a people-driven warehouse, for instance, or a fulfillment yep. center to a, I think they call them black centers or dark centers where there's no human beings, there's no lights even because the robots don't need lights. Yeah. And you got these robots picking and packing and distributing and just conveyor belts and everything just moving. Yep. And nobody goes inside unless something's broken just to do yep. some maintenance. They just go inside. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Because it's all dark. Yeah. But I think just to move from human to there is already a big jump. I mean, that's yeah. not even in the goal, right? Let's call it core software and the core scanners and just the right trained staff. And let's start with a small two or three, four smaller yeah. distribution centers and then eventually bring it into one. So there's a process. So when I come back to, I mean, the topic of our, of our conversation is a hundred days and beyond And So we're talking about merger acquisition integrations. So what happens after that is if there's a plan to 
improve or increase, mm-hmm. let's say product-based business distribution, et cetera, it, there, there are a lot more pitfalls for, and that's for the audience to, to think this one through is it, with a digital type of business, there's still a physical element, but that physical element often, especially product-based business, there's a fat physical element is often hidden to the eye, unless you've actually gone through that process of understanding and actually living the, the nightmare of fulfillment, because it, it can get pretty, pretty bad. Yeah. If we look on the, on the services or let's call it software or software as a service, even, or even just service-based businesses. So consulting, accounting, and other firms that are starting to render their services online. Doctors I see are going online. I see there's a whole range of health and other mental experts and and uh, training courses, and I mean, you name it, there's a whole other sphere that's non-product, intangible related. Yeah. So now you, you can still go online and, and serve the world. But I think you said something very, very important earlier, and that's in the online space and in the digital world, you're looking at, at niching. Niching is probably the only thing you can do to actually get ahead, but also survive in this marketplace that we're in. Tell me a bit about that. I mean, we're talking about 100 days and beyond, it's obviously going to take a lot more than a hundred days to get yeah. proper performance and, and improvements and all yeah. these synergy captures. So you're probably looking at post-merger integration for a, a, a product-based digital business. You're looking at two to three years, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. And it's an ongoing thing, isn't it? I mean, uh, uh, but, but yeah, if you look at the services side of things, tell me, tell me a little bit about that. Well, one thing, like you said, niching will be very important. And in my opinion, will be more important in the coming years. I think that's, that, that will be a wise step. And, uh, at the end result, you will see that businesses will, will sell, uh, some, uh, product market combinations uh, to other parties and invest more in, uh, in their core business. So that, that's a very important, uh, part niching with service-based companies. That's. There's also a, a, a challenge. I've worked with some uh, law firms. Uh, most of the new customers are coming from uh, online sources. So they have to be uh, uh, visible there on these, um, on these platforms and search engines. I asked the, the lawyers of some of these firms to, to put on an article uh, every month on the website uh, within their uh, specific uh, niche. And, and of course, the, the first thing they, they, they say to me, well, I, I have to, I have to write this article. I have to think about it. Yes. That's what I ask you. And who's paying for that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a lawyer, you know, I, it's, uh, you paid for my time. <laughs> yeah, that's my question. I'll say, ah, oh, well, it's, um, it's for free. You have to do this, but I will show you that your, uh, your efforts and all your energy, um, will make money uh, and i can show you that to to the data you you make this article and after a few months i come back and I, I'll, I'll show you what kind of traffic this has generated what kind of leads uh, these articles have generated so you're not doing it for free you're not doing it for for whatever that's one <laughs> one example you have to show that all the efforts they they are putting into it that they result in leads and customers and whatever that was one example of, of a large law firm uh, that, uh, me, the marketing team of the law firm, everyone was on this, on the same page, but not the lawyers who had to do the, their work. <laughs> they said, I'm, I'm being, I charge, I don't know, X thousand euros an hour 
And now yeah. you want me to give this away for free. Are you crazy? Is, yeah. I just can't do that. <laughs> That's the thing. If it's not scalable, if human beings are the bottleneck you can say you have to be very keen where to put your money or where to put your energy and that's that's a bigger challenge than with with products or with software products that you say well i can scale this whatever uh, I, uh, it's just a software product whoever orders it uh, i don't care you know uh, but that's a different approach i want to i want to ask you also with your marketing hat on and and also coming back into the digital space and even the even business in general, when you're doing M&A work, you often, you'll look at the assets as if they are uh, non-living things, right? So you'll look at them as, as things that can grow organically, et cetera, but, yeah. but still they're not human beings. So, so, but when you're starting to get into the space where you have personas that drive brands, if you name a name, you could probably link it to a product i mean just for the sake of the audience and for for ease you know if you say steve jobs you know exactly who what product we're talking about if you you know if you say elon musk you know exactly what products you're talking yeah. about so when it comes to acquisitions now let's say for instance let's go back to i mean we already spoke about twitter and and, and it's, it's all about elon musk and everyone always talking about him but if we go back and we say all right let's say he wants to sell the tesla yeah. He wants to offload Tesla as a, as you know, we've seen that as soon as this, he does something in the share price, yeah, it, there's always an impact. I mean, if he just tweets something, you yeah. know, ironically, um, down goes the price, you know, if he, if he does something in a positive way, up goes the price. So it's all about him. Now, if yeah. you go to a new, now, what are you actually buying? Because are you buying now the persona might leave? Yeah. That's not, that, yeah. now you're going to relook at the valuation. I always think that that's a very difficult part. I, I, in generally, I don't like that, uh, a lot of persona is attached to a company yeah. to, to a digital <laughs> asset or whatever, because, well, it's a psychological effect and it plays a role, but, uh, I, I cannot say w what happens when this person is not involved uh, in it anymore. I, is it going to have a positive or a negative, uh, impact? I cannot put it into data or, in, or into figures. It's not a, not a very good thing to, to have. If you are this persona, of course, you can say, well, I have magic powers or whatever. If we just go down one level, then obviously, you know, when you're doing M&A and, and you're doing post-merger integration, the team that stay behind often are critical to the success of the ongoing survival of the company, but also you know, from the integration point of view, bringing different companies together, making sure that you are extracting the value, but you also making sure you keep key talent. But yeah. one of the key things that often get looked at are who's going to be the jockey, the driver or the drivers of this entity once the acquisition takes place. And I mean, that's now less persona, but more around their skills and abilities and so on. Would you say that in the digital world, that still is the case? Or is it less so? I mean, is, has digital potentially become more important than the jockeys? Or would you say it's the same as legacy businesses? Within the digital market, the, the human part is, is underrated. So uh, I'm always in favor to stress the, the, the human part. And with post-merger integration, of course, that goes for all acquisitions, there's this existing team that, that worked on the old websites, on the old company, 
and they did a good job uh, in, in most cases. And of course, there's this new entity coming in and he or she has different plans. And again, uh, I would stress and keep that human part alive because in the end, um, when I'm looking at uh, data, it's not data, it's human behavior I'm looking uh, at. So that, that's one thing. It's always human behavior. It's not a click. It's a human who is clicking. It's always a, a human thing. Don't see it as clicks. Don't see it as data. Don't see it as all possibilities uh, on the technical side. It's human. The human factor is so important and in many cases overlooked, many cases. There's almost become a blind spot, I believe anyway, that just because you can change human behavior into bits and bytes, zeros and ones, yeah. and you can look at it on a spreadsheet or, or graphs and so yeah. on, now all of a sudden it dehumanizes yeah. human behavior into a bunch of stats and, and little on and off switches, you know, zeros yeah. and ones. I think there's a big, there's a big problem there. And I, and I think that's where M&A practitioners and especially the integration practitioners in, in my mind need to be a lot more focused on, on saying, let's not get distracted by all this data, although data is important, but remembering that data comes from human behavior and let's not get distracted for data for data's sake. Let's make sure that there's a human behavior. And that's a very, that's a massively valid, a valid point. Yeah. That's a challenge. If we, we see this data, we can go from here to there by putting some strings or whatever. In the end, it's not, not the case. We need to have the, the human factor on the first spot in every business. These are persons. And I want to see the interaction with the human behavior of, of real human persons. And I think people are pushing back. I think there's a big, been a big pushback against this depersonalization and yep. people want to be taken into account individually. I, I think that that's one of the, the, the biggest challenges of the next 10 to 20 years for all the people on earth, I think, uh, keep it human, keep it human. Digital is terrific. It's, it's great. Keep it human. Keep it, yeah, actually become more human again, because I yeah. think we, we've actually swayed and then obviously yeah. there's a whole lot of other things that have gone on recently where there's a lot more noise about all kinds of, you know, flavor of the month issues around diversity and inclusion and, and all that. And it's almost like the minorities are leading the majorities yeah. and the regular people out there, the 99% of the people generally are almost unheard, Yeah. but they're on the periphery, they're often, there are maybe one or 2% yeah. that are very, very noisy. So therefore yeah. it gets extrapolated as everybody. And it's like, no, in fact, there's probably yeah. a much larger of a silent base out there that just carry on with their lives, yeah. that are buying, that are clicking, that are engaging with brands, that are really driving the economies. It's not necessarily the outliers. And, yeah. and you've got to be very, very careful with, with how you read. That yeah. And that, of course, uh, in, in the online uh, market space, the one with uh, the largest, largest voice or whoever speaks out is getting the, the lights on, uh, on him or her, but you have to look through that. That that's the yeah. hard part. That's how you're going to be able to see value. I want to, we coming to the end of the, the podcast, Paul, and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and thank you. Thank you very much for your thoughts. Well, so far. I want to maybe just go a bit more personal and, and say, you've got a very strong digital background marketing. And I was hoping that you could share maybe just one or two golden nuggets, a few sort of wise words, just a few ideas, just for the audience in general, just from your point of view, how do you see things and, and so on? Yeah. Well, I think we are entering a different phase and I, I would suggest focus on your core business and think 
about what is driving you, where your passion is and where you can add the most value to your market. And think about this value. Value is so important. Think about what you're special about and what you can add in which way you can help your customers. Helping is very important. And that means sometimes resize your company to focus on these parts where your heart lies and where your future lies. So really refocus on your core business and on your passion as an entrepreneur or as a company, because a company can also have a passion. You know, if you look to, to the company and the people who are working there, um, uh, if you ask them, what do you like of this company? Well, you, you can come up with some sort of the same answers and that's the way to go forward. Yeah. And I, and I suppose the big drive for growth is less important than what should be the drive for value, for contribution, yeah. for being human. I think we spoke about that as well, yeah. taking people into account and not letting the peripheral noise overcome your view of that there's, there's still real people out there. Yeah. Um, and don't let the noise drown out the real thing. I want to just talk a little bit about you. I mean, clearly you've worked incredibly hard in your life and you've built up a, a momentum. Tell me a little bit about your company uh, and about you, you know, family wise, et cetera. How do you, how do you balance the two? I mean, let's first, let's talk about your company. What have you done? You know, what do you yeah. do right now? And well, then let's go into sort of balancing and, and how do you. You know, yeah. keep yourself sane in, in this crazy world. <laughs> That's a very, uh, very difficult challenge. But uh, well, what I do right now is I still work as an online marketing consultant. And through this knowledge, I also have a company called WebWords Partners. We analyze data and establish the worth of websites and e-commerce sites. My company is based in the Netherlands, but I live in Belgium. So I cross the border uh, every day. When I do that, sometimes I work from home, but in most cases I cross the border. Trying to keep sane in this world is to look beyond the business you are working and look at how society is pushed to change to a level you don't want, because uh, I think that's happening too. And I think for the coming years, that will be the real challenge. It's not digital that is important. It's not uh, all the things you hear or, or read or whatever. It's, it's humanity. And if I would say something, well, let's, let's stay human and focus on that because that's our future. That's what I believe. <laughs> no, that that's wonderful. I'm actually just sharing your company Webworth partners on, on the screen for those that can see that. I, I just want to say thank you very much, Paul. I think for me, this has been fascinating because it's, it's a different slant, a different, um, way of looking at post-merger integrations at a world that's becoming more and more digitized and any company that doesn't have at least one or two bits of software, <laughs> yeah. I don't think you can find them anymore. Even if it's just sending a message, a text message to their customers saying, Hey, I'm available. Could you want to buy yeah. all the way through to very, very complex systems. Paul, thank you very, very much. I really do appreciate you coming on the show today fascinating conversation please come back at some stage in the future and all the best of luck with your go forward journey and hopefully you know everything turns out well and, and it is looks like it's going very well for you and your company right now and, okay. and best of luck for the future well thank you Dudley for having me uh, I like it very much uh, always like to discuss things about the way forward so and you have a great show keep on doing the the great stuff you're doing Mm, I will do. Thank you. And everyone, uh, you can get hold of Paul, I think on LinkedIn, 
you have a, your profile is on LinkedIn yep. and obviously you can Google that and we'll, we'll catch up with you soon. Thank you, Dudley. Bye-bye. All right. All right. Hi everybody. This is Dudley again. And if you need help with a future or existing post-merge integration, I want to invite you to arrange a free, no obligation meeting with us. During the meeting, we'll find out exactly what you need, what your challenges are, and we'll explain how our unique PMI slipstream method can help you. Simply call us or visit mergerintegration.co.uk. That's mergerintegration.co.uk or come to our website, skillfulpursuit.com.